Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance Podcast. My name is Bree, and I am joined today by the freaking Sarah Holly. I had to tell her before we hit record, like, I've been a fan before she started writing. Uh, she used to co-host one of my favorite podcasts, and now she is writing, and she's writing really cool things. So, Sarah, <laughs> thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here. Um, and so, it's funny, you talk about uh, me not writing then. I actually was writing then. I've just had a bit of a I do remember you journey. talking about writing <laughs> on the podcast. Yes. Okay, we're going to get yeah. into all the things. Okay, okay. Um, I can't wait. But before like, before we get into the books, like, just tell us a little bit about you. Because uh, I-, I read on your website, like, you've done some pretty cool things. <laughs> I have. Um, oh, gosh, where should I start? Um, so I, um, where do you want me to start? <laughs> Okay, nerd me is like, you were an archaeologist? <laughs> oh, yes, that's a good place to start. Yes, I was. So I studied archaeology in college, and I did a master's degree as well. Um, and my area of specialty was like the Bronze Age, Mediterranean, and Aegean. Uh, but I also got to go around to a few other digs. And then after graduation, I worked in an archaeology lab for a while, just as the lab administrator. Uh, and then I worked at a museum as a collections researcher for a little bit. But um, it was a tough job marketplace. Mm-hmm. So uh, by necessity, I ended up having to move into digital marketing, strangely enough. Uh, that was a pivot. And then now I've ever since then, I've kind of been in the general like client relations, talking to people sphere of things professionally. But I, I really do miss archaeology. I miss the travel. I miss the the sense of adventure. I miss the physical labor element when you actually get to dig uh, and just looking into the past and learning things about it. It was just such a wonderful degree and so many wonderful experiences came out of that. So how is it like, um, I'm assuming, mm, I don't know, I, I study history and I can imagine like being an historian is tough and then like being an archaeologist I'm like that's got to be even it sounds like it's a small world so is that what makes it kind of like is that why you had to pivot because it because it's like it is a small world or or no uh well it was a it was a a layoffs um museum layoffs and then um there's just a lot of places were not hiring and there was nothing really in the area and sort of things where I I didn't know if I wanted to go back to get a PhD but then a lot of people with PhDs are still underemployed (laughs) so it was one of those moments where I was like is this worth pursuing further um and can I pursue it further where I am in my life right now and it was, no, I just, I needed to get a new job. Uh, so I did, but I've still got, you know, a soft spot. I've got all kinds of strange archaeologically adjacent knickknacks in my house, in my apartment. And, you know, I still Like, what was your favorite place or like, you just like a experience oh, that you're gosh. like, I will never forget this. I feel like the, the, probably there's two that were really stood out. Um, my very first dig was in Chile in the Atacama Desert and just that setting like we had to hike 40 minutes into the site every day carrying our buckets and all of our equipment it was so dry um and the stars were just incredibly gorgeous it was almost this alien landscape of this barren desert uh, and then the beautiful stars and just that first taste of adventure there um I also dug up, I think my favorite thing I've ever dug up, uh, and this is going to sound very strange to be my favorite, it was a, a mouse. It was a dead mouse, oh. but it was a thousand-year-old dead mouse, um, and it was perfectly preserved because it's so dry. 
So it just looked, it looks like it had been living. Um, and the reason I was so excited to find that is because they do something called strontium isotope analysis, where uh, people's teeth form um, in animals. There, there's a certain elemental signature in the way the enamel grows. And by pinpointing that and building um, sort of a, a profile of a region, through things like mice that would not have traveled very far, you end up being able to then tell if you're looking at people uh, and looking at their enamel. You can sometimes figure out where they originally came from. So it's a very weird thing to be talking about in a romance no, podcast the time I dug up a mouse. But I think that, that was just- so cool. Yeah, I was. It, I felt like I was being useful, you know, where it wasn't just uh, digging up, we were digging up tons of things, but I was like, that felt like such a useful thing to dig up. Yeah. Oh, something that had been there just untouched, unbothered for mm -hmm. so long. Oh, that is so cool. See, yeah. Nerd me could just ask questions <laughs> about this forever. Um, okay. I'm going to do some like kind of rapid fire icebreakers. Okay. First thing that comes to mind. Okay. If you came with a warning label, what would it say? Oh, um, a little chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> love it uh, a little chaotic and disorganized um yeah i uh i can get sort of lost in the weeds of my own brain and Same. Uh, yeah <laughs> you have to ask yourself like what was i talking about yeah so it's like you, you get lost in the weeds and and i feel like i i have so much um the sort of inner world sometimes that i get lost in and then you know i am not necessarily the greatest at a lot of organizational and admin tasks um but like i can be fun so yeah. it's just it's a yeah it even it's balanced <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know how i get i would not get through the day without sticky notes like the post-its <laughs> Mm -hmm. I have to like write notes to myself. That is the way I can stay organized. And thank God yeah. smartphones give us the calendar and you can set a notification. Yep. Otherwise, I see I the forget. calendar. <laughs> uh, I, just, I just started bullet journaling again, not extensively. Like I don't do those beautiful layouts, um, but when things get so disorganized I, or there's too much going on, like leading up to the publication of a book, there's a lot going on. So yeah. I start using the task lists where you do like the bullet points for the tasks and you do a little arrow to move it to the next day and you cross it off when it's done. And so it's just a very bare bones form of bullet journaling, but I'm, that's definitely what I have to rely on when things get really hectic. Cause otherwise I will just, I'll wander yeah. off and never be seen again. Shout out to the people who know that we struggle with, uh, organization and staying on task. Golly. <laughs> <laughs> Cause yeah, I need all the help I can get. Um, yeah. what is your favorite color to wear? Oh, to wear, um, purple. I like wearing purple. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the last song that got stuck in your head? Oh, um, probably a Hosier song. Um, what is it? He's he's got all these wonderful new ones. Like there's Eat Your Young, uh, and I think it's one. I think it's called Who Who We Are. Maybe he's like that's mm. who we are. Um, so probably that. I tend to do things like uh put away laundry while singing that at the top of my lungs. Absolutely yes. love everything he produces. <laughs> Such a beautiful voice. Um, mm -hmm. Who is one of your most read authors? Cressley Cole. Um, she, her Immortals After Dark series is, I feel like, my, my fundamental romance text. I mean, there, there are a lot of them. There are a lot of romance novels and things that I've, I've read over the years. There are a lot of fantasy authors and sci-fi authors. But that series, there's something about it. Um, if I'm, if, even if I'm just in the mood where I'm like, I want to read something, but uh, I don't know what, and I've 
got 20 minutes. Sometimes I'll just read a scene. So I was just reading a random scene from Sweet Ruin last night for no reason. I just wanted to. Um, There's just something about her writing. It's very propulsive. It's very creative. Her world building is incredible. And the plots are way out there in the best possible way so I would say that's my like go back to because I read it and I'm like I forgot how like amazingly wild this was yeah I've been slowly reading through the series for the first time I love 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 the ghost book I think it's like book five (laughs) that was my first one of hers I found it at the public library and I was like oh I'm interested in ghost romance and I was like, okay, I need to learn more about this world. Um, yeah. Well, so is that your favorite? That's your favorite so far? Yeah, that's, I think it's Dark Needs at Night. Yeah, that's yeah. my favorite so far. But I, I, I just, I'm not ready to like finish the series. So I yeah. just read one and it may be another six months before I read the next one. Yeah. But it is, it's, it's really good. So tell me your romance origin story. Yeah, my romance origin story was a, I came to romance a lot later than a lot of people. Um, I was always a sci-fi fantasy reader because uh, my mother was, and she got me into that at an early age. So I was reading all sorts of things growing up. I always liked romantic subplots. Um, I would say probably Tamora Pierce is the origin of the the romance loving a woman in me, uh, because reading like the, the Alana series... Uh, and Wild Magic, there was romance in it, uh, even though it would be would be um, middle grade or YA fantasy series. But then getting into actual adult romance was in college. Um, mm-hmm. I I just hadn't tried it before. I think there was a little bit of a that snootiness that I think a lot of us have either grappled with or encountered, where you're like, oh well, that doesn't. You hear things about it, and you're like, well, it can't possibly be real literature. Um, or enough people tell you it's trashy, you feel a little embarrassed. Um, and so I think that was holding me back. And then once I started, I was like, oh, I've been wrong. I've been so wrong. And there's such an incredible wealth of, of storytelling here and such a variety of, of books and plots and subgenres. And so I kind of haven't looked back since then. I went very hard, very fast on romance, but it did take until college for me to get there. So what happened? Did you have like a friend, a roomie that was like a romance reader? Like how did you stumble upon it? And like, what did you pick? Did you pick up Paranormal first? Paranormal is one of the first. So it was, um, it was Jenny Nordback from, uh, from Wicked Wallflowers. She's now doing Mm -hmm. Bonkers Romance. So she had uh, given me a book and I think the one she got me on was uh, Karen Marie Monning, um, Beyond the Highland Mist. And that was the first one that just like grabbed me and that was a paranormal. So... (laughs) So still have a very a very soft spot for the Highlander books and of course for Fever, Se- Fever series and all of that. You are writing uh, coming up next is book two in your Glimmer Falls series, but like yeah. I want to and I and I oh my gosh these two, <laughs> so it's a demon's guy doing a witch, uh, and is it is it Caladia? Am I saying that right? Caladia. Caladia I realized and- I, I did all my complicated fantasy <laughs> names and then I've looked in the reviews like no one can spell them and like no one else can say them and I'm like oops oops <laughs> I I love her and is it Astaroth is that how yes. you say his name it's Caladia okay. and Astaroth they are fantastic like I just love them I love especially Caladia I just love her so much but yeah. like, like talk about the, the series as a whole like how did mm-hmm. the series come to you the series idea I 
don't know. Uh, so I had been writing fantasy novels for a while. So I've got a, I've been trying to get published for many years now. Um, and it wasn't quite working with the fantasy novels, uh, although, you know, fingers crossed, you never know. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, I've been writing fantasy with romantic subplots, but I was like, well, what if I just wrote a romance? Um, and I'd already been reading romance for so many years now. I think I had this almost fear of doing it wrong because I'd read it so much of it. <laughs> That's like you've, you've read so much and you've seen so many amazing authors and there's this sort of terror of dipping your toe into it because you're like, well, what if I don't live up to the, the expectations that I would set for myself or that other people would set for myself? So I just, I don't even remember why I wrote the first chapter of A Witch's Guide to Fake Dating a Demon, but I did. And I just wrote this chapter where there's a witch and her magic is on the fritz and she accidentally blows up a chicken and then summons a demon. Um, and I cannot tell you where that came from. I was, <laughs> I, love that. I was just like purely playing around with that. I just felt like writing in that voice, trying to be funny. It was also my first time trying to be funny in my writing. I'd been a lot more serious with my other projects and I was writing very funny fan fiction at the time because that was also something I was doing on the side while trying to get published but I was like okay I'm just gonna let myself be whimsical I'm gonna let myself be weird and we're going to just do this and I don't know where it came from and then it kind of spiraled into this whole magical town it's a uh, it's set in modern day but it's a version of our world where magic has always been out in the open and all of these creatures coexist so there's centaurs and and demons and naiads and witches and pixies along with normal humans just wandering around and it was just really fun to get into that world building uh and I'm not like a, a crazy plotter I tend to have a general idea of where I'm going in books like a loose three-act structure so somewhere in book in book one while I was drafting Astaroth is in book one so well so is Caladia Caladia is the best friend and then Astaroth is is one of the villains of the first mm -hmm. book and I was like hmm I like a sexy villain you know that's, yeah. that's kind of my thing so I knew from the first book that the plot of the second book was going to be Caladia and Astaroth in an amnesia enemies to lovers road trip romance. And then book three kind of spiraled from there. So, <laughs> well, you, you, you touched a little bit on um, trying to get published for a while. So can you talk us like walk us through the publishing journey? Like at what point did it kind of hit you? Like, I do want to pursue this and I am taking oh. it seriously. And then like, how did we get here? I wanted to pursue it seriously from, I would say when I really started working, writing constantly with this as a goal would be college. Um, I'd, I mean, I'd written before. My first book I wrote, I was in fifth grade. It was 25 pages long. It was about this like orphan princess who has to go reclaim her kingdom um, along with like a, a handsome, mysterious stranger. So the, the core element was always there in Baby Sarah. So like, I always liked it and I always wanted to do it and had dreams of being an author, but I really started putting the work in, in a serious, um, consistent way in college. And then probably, hmm, so I wrote a couple terrible manuscripts over the next, you know, six years, I don't know. And then I um, got agented in 2018. And that was with a book um, that died on submission is what you call it when it doesn't get bought. Um, and then I had another book that also died on submission and then I rewrote it for YA and then that one died on submission. Um, <laughs> and then I started a few other projects and then the romance happened right then. And so I was writing the romance in, I'm losing track of time now, like how many, what year is it? Who even knows? I think in 2020 was when I wrote A Witch's Guide to Fake Dating a Demon. 
And then that was the one that actually got the book deal. Um, wow. So yeah, so it's sort of you, you just keep going. Um, and sometimes old projects come back in unexpected ways, you never know. And so it, it's just been it's been an interesting journey. And definitely, uh, I mean, I know there's authors who had the same thing happen for even longer. Um, and then sometimes authors get published right away. But just I, I think I learned a lot from the process of rejection, like constant rejection for three years, uh, and just constantly pivoting and trying new things and not giving up. It was not a particularly happy time. But I do think I learned a lot of lessons through that process uh, that what have now made it a lot easier. Learned? Like, what would you share? Can you share some of the things that you learned? I think just a certain sense of resilience um, and perseverance. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, because and sometimes, sometimes hope gets you through, and sometimes spite gets you through. <laughs> sometimes you're like, <laughs> yes. "Well, you don't want to publish my book. Well, mm, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll show you." Uh, and like none of this is directed personally at any editors or agents or things like that because sometimes the project's not ready to publish sometimes it's not going to be published at that time like it's not personal it can be a Um, motivator though I'm sure yeah Yeah. Yeah. and it can feel personal to the person being rejected but none of this was ever anger directed at anyone in the publishing industry itself but there was a certain like you get a rejection when I was first querying it was like every single time I got a rejection I would fire off a new query that day I was like, eh, like, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to give up. Um, and then also being rejected that much. Like it's being a debut author is, is a, a tough process. There's a lot of insecurity. Like this wonderful thing finally came to pass, but you're also terrified all the time. Because now uh, it's and then, out. Because <laughs> then it now it's out. Then it's out. And like, and people will say things and some people will really not like your book and that's okay. <laughs> but you will start getting tagged in things. You'll start seeing things by accident. Um, and so you have to be ready to know that, you know, someone is going to say this is the worst book they've ever read and they hate it and that there is nothing redeeming about anything you've done. And like, that's fine. And they're allowed to say that and it shouldn't stop you from keeping writing because someone else really liked the book. (laughs) When you, okay. So it feels, this is going to feel really crazy to Mm -hmm. ask, but at the same time, I think it's an, I really want to hear your perspective I came to romance late too so there's a lot of like cycles and all the things that I feel like I missed um so you know you you finally you finally get you're you're getting this book the first book in the series is getting published Mm -hmm. as you're I mean and you'd already been a fan of romance you'd already been reading romance you had an entire podcast where you were talking Mm -hmm. about romance but in that moment when the first book a witch's guide is is like somebody somebody wants it what did what did it what kind of what did it feel like you were entering into in the world of romance like what did it feel like for you huh like in terms of of the general trends or yeah I always like Mm -hmm. to hear like for you all because I I I know that like I've heard uh for example like uh publishing's always like two years ahead or whatever you know like so books that we're getting now you guys wrote like a year or two ago but like when and I know like this is it's not too long ago so I could be like yeah it's it's felt like indie was really big and this was really big but for you as a writer what Mm -hmm. did it feel like for you like what did you feel like you were entering into like world-wise um I had uh so I'd been hearing that fantasy romance was starting to be purchased um and so at that time, so it's sort of like you you have a feeling you might be 
part of a trend, but it's really hard to know because the books aren't out yet. Right. Uh, and then yeah. I think um, when I realized it was really a trend was when uh, Lana Harper hit, I think she hit New York Times um, with her Thistle Grove series. And then all of a sudden there's witchy books everywhere. And you're like, oh my God, we all had this idea at the same time or publishing, or there were just so many of these that had been floating around for a while that all of a sudden they're there. So there, there is an element, a sort of fear that people are going to think you're a knockoff or trying to duplicate what other people have done, uh, especially when there is a big trend. Just because you you are kind of writing in a vacuum a few years before you realize that you're part of a trend. You have no um, idea you're part <laughs> yeah. of a trend. And then all of a sudden you're one of like 15 witch books on the shelves and they're all amazing. And you're like, it's it's a very strange sort of feeling because you can't you can't predict trends in publishing. Like you can sort of guess at some of them sometimes, but normally by the time you can guess at them, one or two are out, which means by the time your book comes out, like 50 will be out and you'll be behind the curve. So you, you always just have to write what you want to write and what's speaking to you. And for me, it was that mix of the fantasy and romance. But this time, instead of doing fantasy first, to me, I was like, I'm just going to flip it and I'm going to do romance first and try that. So interesting, but like very exciting also because I am such a paranormal romance reader and I'm such a fantasy reader that right now is like an amazing time for me as a reader because there's so much of it and there's just going to keep being more like I can't wait for even more vampires like I love vampires uh yeah, and so like my roommate is a vampire came out and did so amazingly well um in August I think so I'm sure there's going to be a bajillion more vampire romances and I'm gonna eat them all up and I'm gonna love them <laughs> <laughs> well that's kind of what I wanted to ask next was like do you do you get the sense that I, I okay as a as a reader and I love paranormal and a lot of my friends love paranormal and we're all just kind of sitting around like waiting to see is paranormal going to have like another big moment? Like what's that going to look like mm -hmm. as both a writer and a reader? Like, do you think we're kind of like treading the waters to see how things do? Like, do we not want it to become too much and oversaturated maybe like it was once upon a time? Like, and how does it feel to be <laughs> one of the, I mean, I know that there's a lot out there, but it also still feels like there's just a few of y'all that are putting them out. Like, how does it feel to be like in this moment? Um, I think oversaturation of trends, if you want to call it, that is an inevitability when something is popular. Um, but the thing is, like I, so the things with like vampires and fae, there were times, um, having tried to sell a fae fantasy, I know this, there are, there were times when they were just, they, they didn't know how to, they don't know how to break it out in the marketplace, or there's so much that for a while there, um, I heard it was really hard to sell vampires. Um, and of course, in, like indie publishing is, has been doing whatever they want for a very long time, but traditional publishing um, does have these sort of spikes. Uh, and so I think if you want to call it, call it oversaturation, I think that's sort of inevitable, but I also want to read all of them. So for me, I'm like, yeah. mm, like I'm at a piece. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so and I think we're seeing now what they're calling, uh, and I know romanticy is a bit of a, a, a controversial term for some folks. They're like, why can't we just call it paranormal romance? Like, to me personally, I don't think paranormal romance and romanticy are the same thing. Um, I don't to think me, so about, either. Yeah, to me, it's about the order of the words. So before I was writing romantic fantasy, and now I'm writing fantasy romance. Um, and to me, that second word is the important part. So when you hear romanticy, I think these multi part Court of Thorns and Roses style fantasy series that have a very strong romantic element, but they aren't standalones. 
And so that's what we're seeing now. We're starting to see the boom there. And there's going to be so many of them coming out. And I am so excited for all of them as well. Like you've got the Hurricane Wars just came out, um, which is phenomenal. Like there's just a lot of that. Uh, And so I think paranormal, I don't think anything about the genre is, is sort of waiting, treading water to see what happens. I think publishers are kind of going full throttle on it in um, whether it's the paranormal romance or the romanticy. Uh, one thing I want to see more of is the multi-book uh, paranormal investigator series Ooh, <laughs> where you, you've you got yes. like, like proper urban fantasy, like where you've got this kind of edgy world and you've got, you know, a heroine with, you know, knives and maybe some magic powers and then all these, these ghosts and ghouls and vampires and things. Um, and so I do actually have two paranormal investigator books coming out at some point um, in the future but they're standalone romantic comedies. So it's not like that, you know, 10 book urban fantasy arc. So I'm kind of hoping that we start to see some more of those come back, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, so you, you t- when you started with A Witch's Guide, mm-hmm. you instinctively knew you wanted to try your hand at also being like having the comedy element in mm-hmm. the book as well. Is that something you think you want to continue uh, yes and no. I think it's going to depend what I'm publishing because I do still have fantasy projects and romanticy projects mm-hmm. um, that benefit from a different tone. But I do really enjoy writing the rom-coms. Um, and especially to me, it's just this sort of, and I know some people say like it's cheesy and like, yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> but it makes I love me happy. cheesy. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and like one of the wonderful things about this fantasy world is because it's not our world, I can change things. I can make stupid puns. Like one of my favorite jokes, it's so, it's such a throwaway. It's like Caladia's talking about her furniture and, and she's like, oh, like her cheap furniture from Lykea, which is like the, the werewolf run, yeah. like home furniture store. And to me, it's like making Ikea, but run by werewolves, like just made me really happy. Um, so I think I really like writing both. Um, and I do write in a lot of different voices. Uh, and in my fan fiction, it runs the gamut from like romantic suspense to really cracky comedy to other things. So that was a chance to just try out all of these different writing voices. And I don't think I'm going to stick to just one, but I do think it's going to be project dependent. I just love that you're giving us like I, I'm always trying to like analyze like what is going on in the world that I need this escape to like our world but not our world I I need to be Mm -hmm. like I need to be friends with my witchy main character and the love interest is a demon but also like I still need it to be funny like I'm trying to figure out like why do I need this as much as I need (laughs) this like what do you think it is that like readers right now are just like craving that style I think life is hard I think life is hard and scary um and we live in a world in which a lot of bad things happen and a lot of people are struggling um, and the ability to step outside of that. Sometimes you want to step outside of that with a really gripping, thrilling, terrifying thing. But I think some people, um, and for me, one thing I've really appreciated about reading rom-coms is the ability to laugh and to escape that way. Um, Yeah. It was interesting because writing... Anyway, I, I felt like writing the Glimmer Falls series, one of the things I was like, is the least believable is that they could afford their own houses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember I was just excusing that in my head, like, well, you know, it's an alternate 
universe. Like the fact that I was like, readers are going to question this. Um, <laughs> well, like it's an alternate universe where they can all afford housing. But now I'm writing this paranormal investigator uh, books and it's set in our world and <laughs> in the city. And so I'm like having to make housing insecurity like part of the heroine's story because she can't afford a house. And yeah. I'm like, this is just making me sad. <laughs> I can't afford a house either. <laughs> So, yeah, so I think there's just something about that pure escapism um, and putting yourself in another world where the problems the characters have might be relatable in a lot of ways. But a lot of the serious problems, it's just a it's a step aside. You don't have to then, you know, spiral into worrying about all the things you have so much time to worry about the rest of the time when you're not reading. So with Kaladia and Astaroth, two things so first and foremost i am a recent appreciator of the amnesia trope i'd say Uh within the last like year and a half two years and so i love that (laughs) poor thing he has no recollection of what happened Uh and the way that you one thing that i really appreciate about this book i'm trying not to spoil it listeners but (laughs) you you really started off and like, I understand the rules. Like I understand the the world that he comes from. I understand, like you gave me, it wasn't info dumpy, but it was just like, okay, this is what he is. This is the world that he comes from. This is kind of like how the, the rules, the setup, the hierarchy of things. And then there's this Moloch guy and mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, all right. So this is kind of like his nemesis here. And then boom, he's back. He's like sent to earth and he does not want to be there. And then there, these two, their paths have crossed. And I love so much that he has no memory of anything. And then it turns into this like road trip. And I Mm -hmm. love a road trip. So you had like two (laughs) tropes that I was like, not really expecting. So you knew in the first book that the next book would be theirs, but like the details, uh-huh. did you already have the details mapped out or was it, okay, book one is out now. I know I want to do these two characters. I got to figure out how I'm going to make it work. Cause he um, is I, a villain in the first book. I know, but I loved him even then. I loved him <laughs> from the start. He's horrible, but I love him. Um, no, I, I knew from, I don't even remember where, probably the moment I put him on page and he had like a, a, a cane sword with like a skull top probably from the moment that appeared I was like yeah he's gonna be a hero um as soon as you get someone in like black leather or like gloves where they've got a sword like it's pretty safe to assume that I am probably (laughs) going to give that man a love story um yeah so I knew I didn't have all the details but I knew it was going to be amnesia and I knew it was going to be a road trip like from the go so when I had the first call with the editor when she wanted to offer for the series she was like, well, what's coming next? And I was like, okay, well, Astaroth is going to get amnesia. Um, and then he is going to end up on the run with Caladia. And they're going to fall in love on the way. Because you, you have to redeem him. And he's been very bad for a very long time. He's been bad for about 400 years. So to redeem a character like that in a page available, it takes uh, it takes work. Uh, and I think the amnesia trope can be amazing. Like, I when it hits, it hits so well um, mm-hmm. because it gives this good opportunity to just hit a complete reset of a relationship. Um, but the thing I think was interesting with Astaroth and Kaladia is that Kaladia has not forgotten at all what she a terrible to kick person. She ass. She does. And so she's like, you suck. And he's like, I'm sorry, you're really beautiful. Who are you? <laughs> what happened? Why do you hate me? Like, I probably deserve it, but I don't know. Um, and then grappling with like, she doesn't feel, she doesn't feel right, you know, 
beating up an amnesiac. She's like, that's yes. perhaps in, perhaps poor taste. Um, and then it's sort of, they're just forced to go on this road trip together. Uh, and then along the way, sort of learning things. And I think amnesia gave Astaroth an opportunity to not, he's not in a complete vacuum because he hasn't lost all of his memories, but an opportunity to rediscover the self that he is without all of the years of accumulated scheming and cynicism and all of these things that gradually warped him to the point where he was the villain of book one it sort of gives an opportunity to strip that away and you start to see who the actual person is under that and then gradually get to understand how they got to be the way they are but then also give them an opportunity to become someone else yeah um and one amnesia book i love that does that very well is uh, a lady's code of misconduct by meredith duran she's got a similar thing a very bitter cynical power hungry politician um and then this his heroine who he's he kind of menaces and is really horrible to in the first chapters and then bam hits his head and she takes advantage of the situation um and it's like okay well i need to get out of my bad situation so i'm just gonna this guy's clearly gonna die so i'm gonna pretend we were married uh we got married in secret and then surprise he lives but he doesn't remember anything and then he's suddenly just a different person um and so part of what i loved about that book was discovering how like yeah he he wasn't that person at his core but he almost like he's forgotten his corruption arc (laughs) and then him rediscovering his corruption arc and deciding that's not who he wants to be anymore so i i think amnesia is amazing for things like that especially when you have a character who's really bad and you need to give him a little reset so why why a demon because I feel like I, I love that he's a demon. I I, I uh-huh. think back to like all the creepy like ghost hunting shows I watch uh-huh. or whatever. And it's like demons are always like painted as so bad. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they are. I don't know. But I was like, oh, my gosh, I love that Astaroth is a demon and he's the love interest uh-huh. in this book. Yeah. Well, it he became a demon because in the first book, um, uh, the conflict, I was like, who who would a witch who can't summon things correctly least want to summon and what would be an amazing conflict. And so for Mariel in book one, um, the worst case scenario is accidentally summoning a demon who wants her soul and can't leave until he gets it. Um, and her soul being her magic and her emotions. I also wanted to separate this from um, religious uh, imagery and mythology. So these, these aren't the demons that you might hear about in Christianity. I was more interested in making them a separate species which is something Ooh, okay. authors like Cressley Cole have done as well, um, where how do you, if you just give them a different society and different traits, uh, and then you get the different, trying to understand each other <laughs> past that framework of, of totally different experiences. Um, so yeah, so then Astaroth ended up, because Oz had to have a demon mentor who was sexy and bad, that's how Astaroth ended up being a demon. Uh, and then book three is actually a werewolf. Um, werewolf Ben, who you see in both books one and two. And then his love interest is a vampire succubus. So I got to make up a whole new species of my own for that one. So what what are you enjoying about like making up the species and coming up with your own rules for them? I've always just been a world builder. I've always really enjoyed that. Um, and I think it allows for a lot of um, situational comedy it allows for a lot of explorations of common concepts but through the lens of the supernatural um so demons being less 
less emotional than humans uh, on average. There are exceptions. Um, Astaroth is an exception for reasons. Uh, and then Oz is an exception in the first book as well. But it was sort of thinking more like a Vulcans in a sense, um, where what do you do when you have a very controlled cerebral society and then you end, they end up falling in love with like a very chaotic, Im- overly emotional humans sort of thing. I just think it adds a lot of interesting tension. Um, and then it's really fun to just get to decide what that world looks like and um, who they are and, and what their practices are and how they live and what their mythology is. So maybe that's the archaeologist element. <laughs> it's just getting to build the, build the stories. So author's guide to writing a paranormal romance. Oh, wow in like the right now world anybody that's listening that's like they've been toying with the idea they have one under the bed like what what advice couple tips or one tip whatever comes to mind do you have for them just do it um I mean that's the thing I think we find so many reasons to hold ourselves back from writing things so someone if you've got a paranormal under your bed or you might be looking at the marketplace and saying well there's already so many paranormals out there mine's not going to be anything different so I might as well not even start Um, or there's all kinds of ways you can talk yourself out of it or well it's just not that good so I've read things that are way better and I I already know this is bad so I'm not going to do it. all of my first drafts are pretty, pretty messy. Uh, they get better in the they get better in the second draft. I really love editing for that reason. But then I also have the garbage books that I, I mean, maybe they're not garbage. I call them garbage books. Like the first books I ever wrote that were absolutely an unpublishable mess. But I learned how to actually finish writing a book, which I think is the most important part. Um, and part of that, to finish a book, you have to be willing to keep writing that book. Instead of just going back and editing the chapters you already have endlessly, uh, which was a thing I used to do. And so I'd get stuck because I kept re-editing the first five chapters and then going, why can't I finish this book? Um, So I'd say, just do it. Just write. Write if it's it's bad. Write it anyway. Um, you You can't edit something that's not there. Uh, if you're worried about it not selling, well, you can't even try to sell it if it's not written. Um, and a lot of projects do have second lives, so you never know. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's do some, again, round out icebreakers or, okay. you know, rapid fire. First thing that comes to mind. Tell me one of your last, most recent unput downable reads. Oh, gosh. Um I read um, I read Pride and Protest by Nikki Payne, um, and it's a Pride and Prejudice retelling um, with an an activist radio DJ heroine who is the Lizzie Bennett character, and then um, a, a property developer and CEO uh, who is the the Darcy character. And it was just very it was very fast. Like I it's it, you know those books that get momentum going where you're reading and you can't stop reading. Um, she's got whatever that talent is to make you keep turning pages and turning pages and turning pages. Um, and I thought it was just a really creative reimagining um, and updating of that story. And then one I started last night that I had a very hard time putting down uh, was Bride by Allie Hazelwood, mm. who also has that ability. And she's and this is her paranormal romance, which I'm. Woo! gonna be so good it's a werewolf and a vampire and she also has that sort of propulsive writing where you're like this is so good you're just eating it up on the page and just keep flipping pages and flipping pages so I'd say the two those are two of my most recent ones Um, and like I'm not done with bride yet but I'm already like how will I sleep until I know what happens (laughs) 
<laughs> Are you more of a physical ebook, audiobook? Like, what's your favorite drug of choice to consume your book? I used to be ebook, um, pretty much exclusively with all the romance. And that was because I had an old, like, classic second generation brick of a Kindle that just worked for me for some reason. Um, it finally died and I got like the paper white or whatever, and I just don't like it. Um, it's, it's harder to read for some reason I cannot explain. So I'm back to physical books now and I'm actually really liking it. I like the tangibility of it. I like turning the pages. I like the way it feels in my hands. So that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. Isn't it crazy how like reading a physical book almost feels kind of old school because <laughs> we've been like reading Kindle books for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to <laughs> overcome the guilt because I, I do a lot of reading in the bath. I really like bubble baths. Um, but then I would feel so guilty bringing a book into the bath with me. Um, but I'm like, you know what? No, like I'm a, I will love this book. I will love this book as hard as I want. Um, yeah. so it's okay if it gets a little waterlogged. <laughs> so. so if you decided you wanted takeout for dinner tonight, where would you order from and what would be your order? Mm, takeout. I'm always a girl for pizza. Um, there's a couple of local pizza places around here that would be good. Uh, right now, right now, I think I'm craving some Thai food. Um, yeah, so I, I would probably get some Thai food. And your favorite out of the Immortals After Dark series would be? <laughs> well, everyone's <laughs> going to judge me. Um, it's, it's Dreams of a Dark Warrior, um, which is the one where the hero does sometimes vivisect people. Uh, <laughs> so, so we're talking about like the stakes in and, and her stories being completely wild. I think when you do have immortal characters, you can make the stakes very, very high because they'll they'll get over it. They'll be fine. Um, but yeah, so he is a bit of a brainwashed torture master um huge villain but he also wears black leather gloves and like I don't know has some secret pain uh <laughs> and and I just and he, I think also because his hair um region or Regan I never know how to say it um she's so fun like she is she kicks ass she's snarky she's violent she's immature sometimes and I really loved her a whole lot and that she just gave this guy hell um <laughs> But yeah, but it's also, it's a pretty brutal read. So uh, it, it would be really interesting if I reread the series, seeing if that one is still my favorite, but it's hard being like, yeah, I like really dig the torture one. Um, but I do. I don't know why. I just do. And if you got to be like a mythological creature for a day, which one, which one are you being? Which one are you going to do? Probably a witch, just because casting spells seems very interesting. Um I feel like being a vampire for a day would just be really gross because you're not used to drinking blood. You're just like, oh, right. this is awful. And then you go back <laughs> to being human and then you just feel bad about what you did. Uh, so I would say a witch and then just maybe maybe cast some spells and fly around and I don't know. Do you have like <laughs> a um, fictional or television, like a witch that imprinted on you or has imprinted on you? Um. I don't know specifically a witch that I can think of. I would say the early magic user that imprinted on me was Alana from the um, Song of the Lioness series. Uh, okay. Um, okay. So she's she's more of a mage knight sort of thing. Um, but in terms of like er early magic users, that I was like, yes, I want that. Uh, yeah. It would definitely be Alana. <laughs> well, where can everybody keep up with you online? 
Yeah, so my website is sarahawleyauthor.com. If you sign up for my newsletter, um, I do occasionally do things like bonus content. Like I sent out a bonus scene after A Witch's Guide to Fake Dating a Demon, and I'm going to write another one and release it there. So newsletter is always a great place to keep up with me. And then social media, I'm mostly on Instagram these days, uh, but my handles tend to be Ms. Sarah Hawley, um, M-S-S-A-R-A-H-H-A-W-L-E-Y. I know how to spell my name. Um, So that would probably be the other good place to find me. Okay. And our book, A Demon's Guide to Wooing a Witch, comes out November, is it 28th? Yes, 28th in the US and then 30th in the UK. Awesome. And do you have an idea of when A Werewolf's Guide to Seducing a Succubus comes out? Uh, Yeah. So now it's actually called A Werewolf's Guide to Seducing a Vampire. She's still a vampire succubus. So we're just playing around with which name in the title. Um, That one should at this moment be August of 2025. No, wait, no, 2024. What year is it? Next August. Yep. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. This was a dream come true. Like I said, I've been yeah. a fan for such a long time. So oh, that's wonderful. Thank you <laughs> so, so much kind for having of weird me. to like hear your voice on the other side of my computer. <laughs> well, thank it's really exciting. So, so thank you. 